0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, thanks for listening to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with my co-host,
1: Russell Case. Oh snap! Did I get promoted? You got promoted. (laughs) I'm co-host now. (laughs) Wow!
0: And we are here with the lovely BB Lorenzetti from the USA, New York State. Yeah. Are are
1: you American? Yep.
2: I am not American. Tell us. I am from Italy. Hence my last name, Lorenzetti.
1: but were you born in America? Or were you born in Italy?
2: No, I was born in Italy. I came to America. In, uh, I was actually, I came to Houston, Texas, hence our conversation before about Texas, yeah. um, when I was uh, nine, maybe turning 10, or maybe I was 10 already, I can't remember. And I lived there for four years. And then I moved back to Spain. Or not back. I moved to Spain because I'd never been there before. Um, and I was there for from like 14 until uh, 21. And then I had this love affair between Spain and New York for a few years until I figured out how to stay here in 2009. And now I'm wondering why I did that. But <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's a reason for everything. I, I got a nice partner and, and a cute kid. So... I'm happy about that.
1: <laughs> but but your accent—did you go to an American school? Your accent is 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 totally normal.
2: Yeah. So I worked on that quite hard. I when I when I moved to Houston, I didn't speak one word or, of English. Really? Wow. Yeah. Despite only like the only Italian, despite the Rosetta Stone tapes that my parents <laughs> would have us listen to, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was thrown into. Um, you know, one of those huge high, uh, middle schools that in Europe, you see them in the movies, but you don't really think they're real because you don't think that that world really exists. Um, and so there I was in this world I thought didn't exist except for I was in it and I was very excited until I wasn't because I realized that all the kids in that world were really mean and I had no way of communicating to them. Um, and wow. so the next, yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, situation and so the next six months my brother and I decided that we would stop speaking Italian and uh, not speak until we learned to speak English fully both at home and outside the home and so in, in six months I became completely fluent in Texan which now I don't even yeah. know how to y'all anymore <laughs> but- no, there's little there's
1: little pieces there's traces of it there I can I can hear. It. I can. Um, It sounds like was it was it like a Latino school that you went to? Was it no? It was uh,
2: it was the Space Center school where all the NASA kids were.
1: Oh, was that your was that your parents? Were they were they NASA?
2: No, my dad is a naval engineer, non-army related, and he would just be sent around to open offices in areas where there was like communication with a lot of other countries. So we lived in Korea and Denmark, in the United States, Spain, and then they went back to Italy where they currently are and I'm here. But, um, yeah, it was not related to to space.
0: Okay. Wow. Wow.
2: That must have been really difficult. It was. It was not. I do not have fun memories of that time. It took me a long time to, um, to integrate and to have a sense of belonging and to figure out how to fit into a. I mean, like a micro, a macro, like a micro society that is within the school. Um, how to fit in and how to. Yeah, whenever you yeah. look very different, you know. Even though I'm, I might look. You're beautiful. Like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you're very beautiful.
0: So um, you would.
1: You, I guess you but, mean like Caucasian, like yeah, Caucasian, and yeah. and if you're if you are like in a magnet school, like a like a NASA kids school, then you there were probably um, majority was Caucasian.
2: Yes, except for a few, you know, there was like a big—not a few. There was a big group of um, an Asian community, and then, um, and then it was mainly divided into like popular people. Um, you know, there was there was that kind of division: the populars, sure, the losers, yeah. the skaters, the, yeah. the nerds, the nerds, <laughs> and there was there also are, the, the slots. There was like all kinds of interesting scenarios. And where, in the midst where were you of it, then? I was I was non exist. I was in the like ESL <laughs> group that nobody <laughs> talked to because they didn't speak the language. So I was at Great. this table wow. with the dorkiest looking people wishing for my life to be over because and oh. then my first attempt at trying to fit in was because everybody at the time had um, wore like you know, T-shirts that said, like, Tommy Hilfiger, Laugh oh, right. Lauren, yeah. you know. And so my mom was really against us buying things that were in fashion. She thought that it would be character building to not give into that. And sure, so- Yeah.
1: Um, sure, you finally, are building character now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> finally, one day after, like I don't know, the third month of like I would make myself sick at school so that I, the, the, they could call home and get me home. Um, so finally, after like months of this, my mom was like, okay. We'll go get you an outfit. And little did I know, the one outfit I freaking picked out from Marshalls was this shirt that said FUBU on it, which I had no idea what it meant until I wore it to school. And everybody was either laughing at me or like, you know, pushing me around because they were like, why the fuck are you wearing that?
1: So the what, i'm sorry four, what is what is food
2: food, food, which is like food. for us bias and it's a it's a it's an african-american <gasps> um,
1: oh that's uh, what that is brand
2: but i had yeah. no idea you know i was like oh there's a shirt that's like five dollars that has a brand name on it my mom will get yeah. it I <laughs> oh no so yeah, that was we my no first idea either, either
1: apparently <laughs> <laughs> oh Oh my god
2: so yeah you're really
1: describing like parts of my life that i found really painful which is the whole appropriate clothing part of school and always feeling less than and and low it's just so brutal to to be in that space
2: it really is and it impacts you on so many levels and it takes so many years to like unpack and kind of place them in the right place within yourself. Yeah,
1: were, were you were you doing gymnastics at this point as well? I mean, had you been doing that the whole, the whole time? As I understand, yes, I was.
2: That? I started gymnastics when I was in Italy when I was probably like five or six. And oh, then, so you
1: were serious?
2: Yeah, I didn't know I was serious until I I I think around the time that we moved to Houston, I went to like a, um, a gymnastics summer camp. And my teacher um, approached me saying that she wanted to move me into like the, the big team. And um, I kind of screwed up that opportunity by asking if I could bring my best friend with me, who was also in my team at the time. And <laughs> her, her reply right in there, right then and there was, okay, I guess I made a big mistake. You're not the right kind of person for this.
1: <gasps> oh, <laughs> that's so cruel. That's really cruel. <laughs> yeah.
2: But you yeah. know what? I'm so glad because I would have had so many more issues with my body had I gone that way. Um, right. But so then when I moved to the States, I, I joined – a team in, in the States. And, um, I was, I, I realized that the problem I had when I moved to the States is that I was a lot smaller than everybody. Mm-hmm. So I had some issues with getting in, in the right, you know, the team that I was supposed to be in, I didn't have the right kind of measurements for. Um, and then it just you so mean
1: like height and weight
2: Height and weight. Yeah. I was, I was very tiny, um, compared to the other girls that were a- in, in that team.
1: But I would have thought that was an, ad- an advantage as I understand in gymnastics.
2: I guess I remember at this gym, it was like the aid you had to be, it wasn't like a professional thing. It was just joining the right team for the right age. Okay. And yeah. I couldn't, like, I didn't fit into any kind of like box there. So they put me in this tumbling class and, um, and then eventually what happened was that I doing a back flip on the high beam, I, um, Not a backflip, a TikTok, like one of those would be flip back and you land. Oh, sure. One of my hands slit and I hit my head and I started getting these migraines. And so the doctor had me stop going upside down. So that was the end of my dementia. I was 14. Um, And it was actually good because, you know, I, I feel like that would have been probably, had I continued, it would have probably been detrimental to my. To my being, um, yeah.
0: I remember I was a a gymnast when I was quite young too, and I got I think it was around a similar age, like around maybe ten or eleven, or maybe it was twelve. I don't know, something like that. And um, it started to get quite serious at that point, and I felt like at that age, even I felt like I was too fat and too big (laughs) to be a gymnast. So I decided to focus all my attention on dance and quit gymnastics. Um,
1: Oh, geez. Like that's a better culture.
0: (laughs) I know, but it seemed, but that's how brutal the gymnastic culture was at that time. That like as a 10 year old or an 11 year old, you already felt too fat and too big to be a gymnast.
2: Right. Or the opposite way around. I mean, I had in in that specific moment like I remember I wish so much that I was either developed or that you know my muscles were bigger or that my legs were longer or that just like just the wishing to be something that you're not yeah whatever you know whatever side of the spectrum (laughs) you were
0: on yeah 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 that was definitely a lot of my dance experience too was just never having long enough legs or you know not being tall enough not being thin enough it's yeah it's like Constant. It's so
2: sad that this is what it's about, you know?
0: I know.
1: Yeah. Harmony, you were you were telling me a story um, about a camp that you went to in BAMP for the summer.
0: Yeah, when I was 17, I went to the Banff School of Fine Arts, which is like an arts uh, institute here in Canada and it's quite a like famous sort of elite art school and they have artists from all over the country and even from other countries sometimes come and, uh, work on their craft for the summer. And then I was in the dance department. So we put on a a big show at the end, but during that summer, it was the first time I had really lived away from home for a prolonged period of time. So I forget how long it was. I think it might've been, you know, maybe five or six weeks, something like that. And, uh, and at that point, I my eating disorder went absolutely nuts.
1: What, what eating disorder?
0: <laughs> Anorexia. And like I was also bulimic from the time I was 12 years old till uh, about 20. But, but what at is that, that time- What does
1: that look like when you're- I mean, is that every meal?
0: Not every meal, but I would go through periods of pretty strict fasting. And then um, if I was stressed or- like having a lot of uh negative emotions i would then binge on something and then
1: like a box of cookies or like uh, a,
0: yeah you know and or... you know me sweets was never really my thing but so it would have been like a bowl of,
1: <laughs> like a bowl of uh, potato chips or pasta yeah
0: or anything it could have mm. been anything like honestly <laughs> anything um, yeah, that probably like,
2: restricted
0: exactly yeah. like like pasta probably or um, yeah, anything, rice, like whatever, any kind of carb really. <laughs> and then, um, and then you feel guilty, you feel shame. You also feel sick cause you've been fasting and then, right. then all of a sudden you eat like so much. And so then I started throwing up.
1: How, you like, but how, I, you just like put, do you put your fingers in your mouth? Yeah.
0: Because? When I, I mean, when I was younger, I kind of felt like it was a, it would help me not gain weight. But as you know, with bulimia, it's actually doesn't quite work that way. (laughs) So if you're bulimic, you can actually have kind of a normal body weight. Um, But when it's coupled with anorexia, you know, it it is a slightly more effective method for (laughs) keeping your weight Weight in check. But that was I mean, when I was ten years old, that's when I that's when I started because I mean, as I mentioned with dancing, with gymnastics, you I really felt like um, you know, I developed very early. I got my period. I mean, this is maybe too much personal information when I was ten years old. <laughs> and so <laughs> there was like a lot of hormones and your body's changing that's and so you, young. Yeah, you don't really want to um be a woman you're you know you kind of lose your childhood a little bit so um i decided to to really lose it i guess and being very cruel to myself and yeah i would just stick my fingers down my throat and throw up
1: so my mom was like using amphetamines and she was using laxatives Mm because she was like thinking to her like 89 pounds was a real good weight for her yeah (laughs) And like she was 89 Great. pounds when I was born, you know, so maybe a little bit more than that. So, I mean, were you also using lax- laxatives yeah, at this camp? Yeah, I did
0: use laxatives a little bit. I used them more at the when I was in um, at this camp, but I did use it a little bit throughout my uh, teenage years. I didn't like to use it so much because they left me feeling so fatigued after. Yeah. I felt like I had no energy and I didn't like that feeling, so I tended not to use them too much because I really felt like it was doing my body a pretty big disservice.
1: And so you you were <laughs> at the camp, and you were and you were about one hundred and three pounds. That was normal for you, and yeah. Then... At that
0: time, I was about a between one hundred and three and one hundred and ten, maybe. And then I came back, and I was about ninety five pounds. And all my dance teachers were like, oh, you look so good. You've improved so much. And deep down, I was like, Mm, you were suffering. Yeah, I was suffering so brutally. I was in like emotionally, physically, like I, I was so weak and tired all the time. And my hair was falling out. And I just was like in the worst condition internally ever and yet externally getting all of this praise and at that point I was like something's really fucked up about this I think that (laughs) if I carry on down this (sighs) this road I'm gonna end up dead and so I mean at that point I actually just quit dancing altogether
2: it's so So, unfortunate that that's how that's the experience
0: you yeah, know, the, I mean, it's not everyone's on inside experience. And ever,
2: on the outside, people are cheering you on.
0: Yeah, it's it's it happens though. I know it happens a lot with people who suffer with anorexia. You know, it's yeah, absolutely.
2: I had I had a version of that myself. Yeah, tell you us. I did. I um, mine was a little bit different in the sense that mine was more of um, I think it came from a place of like needing to control something. Um, yeah. I, I developed really late. I developed when I was 16, I got my first period and it was like, I, I literally, the memory of, of it that I have is going to bed like with no boobs and then waking up and all of a sudden I had like these m- massive breasts <laughs> that's like the memory i, have.
1: That, I don't <laughs> really how is that
2: that's amazing how is that i impossible? don't know russell i really don't know i i just don't remember it being a process i remember it just being like from one <laughs> day to the next and feeling this deep shame about having to like face people and right. luckily wow. it kind of coincided with the move from the united states to spain so it like right. It kinda of worked out in the sense that I could present myself as this new being in Spain, but mm. I wasn't comfortable inside my own skin because there was this 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 lack of recognition with myself. Like the inner self right. like to the outer self didn't really match. So there was this very disjointed feeling. And then you know, also being 16 and not knowing anyone and not having any friends, not belonging, it felt like Um, my body was kind of the thing that I could have a a handle on or control and so I just started um it was basically like it was also like a way to rebel to to my family to just kind of totally shut off from them by like not eating their food not sharing meals with them Um, and also like the element of making them worry and making them um I guess subconsciously maybe worry about me, even though consciously that's like the last thing I wanted. I didn't, uh, so it's kind of like this juxtaposition of, of emotions and, and feelings. And um, yeah, it was a very strange time for me. Um, and so my experience of it was that I, I just, I, I would try to figure out ways to not taken anything like whether it was food or love or like relating it was just i just wanted to be by myself and and kind of reinvent myself the way i thought was gonna be successful for this new go at a bb in a new world right um and, and it, you have it, to learn no, spanish
0: also like like you I had did. to totally like re yourself and recreate yeah. yourself
2: well, I mean, the, the lucky thing was that my parents sent me to a, uh, an English – well, an English school, uh, not American, and um, and then shortly after I got there, I, I got a boyfriend that was um, Spanish, so that helped.
0: Mm-hmm. I learned yeah. Spanish
2: mm-hmm. quite fast because of that, um, but it was um, – and I love – I have a really good memory of, like, integrating there, but a lot – you know, I, it's funny that I have a good memory because – all of my time in in Spain was me like not doing me just doing living and kind of putting myself to the side I don't know if I don't don't know how to explain it but it was like living without living it was like this vessel of mine was just going through the motions of life and the, the 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 inner me was like left behind somewhere I don't know where
1: what sort of behaviors were you doing was it just not eating
2: yeah it was not eating it was um you know that that included like it was really hard to socialize because it meant you know saying no to friend reun- like friend gatherings um uh, so it was it was a lot of energy that went towards um figuring out ways to 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 not relate to people when it was around food so i had to like come up with a lot of lies um oh. which was it took a lot of energy and I remember when I started healing it was like all of a sudden I was like oh my god I have this pool of energy that I can tap into because I don't have to stop life from coming at me I can just kind of like let go and and, and go with the flow which is so much easier than than resisting life um right. so, so that was the main part and then what else? I mean, there was a little bit of of bulimia in there as well, but it wasn't a major thing. It was mainly whenever, you know, if there was a big change, like I remember when my parents left to go back to Italy. um, I remember I I was in my new apartment, um, and I had gotten this job so that I could afford, I I wanted this very specific apartment in this very specific part of town. So I got a job so, so that I could add that money to my parents' money. And there I was, and my parents left. Like literally walked out of the apartment to get in their car to drive off to Italy, and I felt this deep emptiness. Um, mm. Which actually, I recently just felt after you might have felt the two harmony when you had your kid, but like right after you give birth, I,
1: yeah. I
2: felt this feeling again of like I was sitting at home with my baby, and it was this opportunity to feel so full, and yet I felt so empty. And that's the only other time i I think I've ever felt that kind of emptiness um and at the time the the way that i knew how to cope with that was i remember i binged eat ate for the first time i went to get pizza which is what my family and i used to share on sundays mm. and i like ate it so fast and like it was literally it was eating emotions and then it was overwhelming and so i threw it all up and that was i think there's like a few other instances where that happened but it wasn't so much about um I mean, obviously, there was an element of fear of of my body changing and being out of control. But I think it would always stem out of some deep sense of loneliness and emptiness, and so I would have to like fill it, and then I would I would feel so so shameful that I would have to empty myself. But it never it didn't happen very much because I was very good at controlling.
1: Mm-hmm. Was there any any element there to the the male gaze? Of, of suddenly like what what Harmony said of of being um, constantly looked at and examined was was, was that any part of it? Or was that was that uh, a, a separate issue to the anorexia?
2: Um, when you say male, do you mean like to get having attention from?
1: yeah, from, from your stuff? your bosom suddenly and then <laughs> being constantly gazed at and like, is there any way I can make this go away? By right. starving myself.
2: I actually enjoyed that, I have to be honest.
1: <laughs> okay. Because okay. a but, lot of a lot of girls who get that maybe at twelve or thirteen
2: right. then, they carry
1: yeah, like the you even see it in the way they hold their shoulders, is like, please don't look at my chest, please don't look at my yeah. chest. You know, and, and then you see other people who 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 don't have that same um, body uh, posture because they they don't mind
2: right. the attention. I think for me it was. um, There were times where it felt like at the beginning I had to get used to it, but when I started to see that that boys were interested in a positive way, I, you know, as an as a as a person that not that I I think the more I grow up the less I like to have attention, but at that point it was I was so hungry for attention, having come from Houston where no one looked at me and I always felt really small, and all of a sudden it was like the small me was gone. And I was finally like, I had all the things that I had wished for, even though I didn't feel comfortable necessarily when I was by myself, when I was in a social setting and I saw that I got attention, it was like, Oh, this is good. I finally have that attention. And I think then with the, whenever I started to lose weight, there was an element of that too. It was like, I got people's attention because I was so skinny. Everybody was worrying about me or look, you know, like, so oh. was, that was always like, um, yeah, that was definitely like a seed of like having the attention because I was so starved of it for such a long time, I think.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting parallel to make It's it's so um, traumatic. I think your early experience of moving at a young age, you know, 10 to America and not speaking English and feeling like so alone and isolated and looked over and invisible even to then like coming into this place where you are receiving attention. But like that, um, that extreme change is, is sometimes hard to, uh, deal with or recognize. And maybe even there's, there's a, a sense that like you don't deserve it, you know, you don't deserve the attention in, in a way, mm-hmm. even though you're craving it and want it. And then Absolutely. you kind of are starving yourself of pleasure or enjoyment in other ways.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, actually like hearing you say this, I I, I think a lot about that when I'm in Mysore and like e- even just like my first experiences in Mysore, I think were a big we um, were a big part of understanding this part of myself because I did, I was 20, I think I was 26. The first time I went or twenty twenty six. 26. Yeah. The first time I went to Mysore and I was, I, I can't say I was healed there, but I was on, I was on the right trajectory towards healing.
1: Um, How did that happen that you, you started healing? Cause you mentioned that in Spain that you would, maybe that you were starting to heal did you find like a yoga class somewhere? Is that, and then was it an accident
2: that no, you started to heal? Well, the, it was an accident that I started to heal. Yes. Um, and it happened in two parts because I started yoga when I, I was, I came to New York the first time because I was doing theater and, and yoga to the people at the time was at its beginnings. Oh, now it's like yeah. Big, there's like a big scandal around it, but at the beginning, it was like their first studio, and it was right underneath my house. And it was, it was free. Well, really? it was donation based, which for European means free. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went there a couple of times. That was a really cool thing, the yoga to the people. Yeah. Did they I mean what was the scandal though? Do they were just like taking money actually?
2: No, the owner is uh, uh I don't know. He's one of the it's part of the Me Too movement.
1: I see, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, which is actually why I got fired at some point, which has been why I found Ashtanga Yoga because I turned him down, and the next day oh. I was the door was shut in my face, um,
1: right oh. before my
2: class in front of all my students,
1: and Ooh, wow. but,
2: which was great because then I <laughs> find another studio, and I ran into the Shala Yoga House with Barbara and Kristen, and yeah, you know I was I think I was twenty five at the time. Um,
1: yeah.
2: I had just come back. I started yoga when I was 21 at yoga to the people. And then I was back and forth between New York and Spain. And then I was dating a, uh, person that had a lot of drug things and I kind of got pulled into it. And then long story short, I got hep C and ended oh, up Jesus. back in Italy to in the hospital to get cured. And then I got, part depression while I was there and so my dad and I made a deal where I could come back to New York to teach yoga if I went back or if my brother came like we alternated going back and forth to get my meds. Right. Wow. So then, and because of that, I lost a lot of weight again. I was probably like eighty-three pounds that year. Oh. Wow. Yeah, That's I was really very thin. Yeah, I was very small. And um, my
1: mother would be jealous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, a lot of uh, you go to the people. Students were very jealous. They they would ask me, "How do you? How are you so in shape?" I'm like, "If only mm. you." Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh but, my god. Um, but then, so then. That year finished and I started, um, I, I was fired and I, I ran into um, the shala and, you know, I asked to be teaching and they put me in my place. They were like, you're so young, you, you know, maybe you can assist and clean the shala. And I was like, sure, whatever. Um.
1: Yeah. I also <laughs> applied for a job at the shala. You did? Uh, yeah, right after my first trip to Mysore, I showed up and I knew Kristen because she had been Guy's assistant. Uh huh. And yeah. I walked in. I met I met uh, Barbara and she had black hair at the time. Uh-huh. And I asked her for a job and she just looked me up and down and she said, "Yeah, you look like you just came from Mysore, but but no."
2: Sounds like Barb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I really oh. liked practicing there. I think I actually met you there. Yeah. You came time.
2: in one time and you said, I'm Harmony's friend, Russell. And I was like, hi, Russell. Welcome. And you yeah. it. And then I,
1: I got into my mat and you walked up to me and said, have you ever done this before?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I asked you that? Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> yeah. You did. And it was like... Uh, yeah but if, anything, if you know, anything you can help me with it's <laughs> fine I'm just gonna get started I was really I was just like um, I get really bad back spasms all the time oh. and I have to be kind of properly ready and so I was in like child pose or something and I was like just not ready
2: uh-huh.
1: and so then you came up to me as like uh, you don't have any idea what you're doing do you
2: <laughs> well, also I was in my 20s and you know I feel like no one should teach in their twenties.
1: <laughs>
2: I've We've learned a lot it. since then.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that fire, that 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 inner that fire of the twenties has, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. it simmers down it a little, down little bit. A little bit. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's backed up with a little bit more life experience. <laughs> mm,
0: yeah. 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 Having a newborn will definitely give you a lot of compassion all of a sudden for oh my other God. people and life experiences. Oh my
2: God. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So you, you were, you were telling us about your, how you started the process of healing again, and I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you.
2: Oh, don't worry. Um, yeah, so then the second time around, it was um, it was because of, of Ashtanga, really, because of Barbara and Chris. And it was the first time I had a, like if well, no, that's that's not true. While I was in Italy, um, recovering the first half of the recovery, I ran into a hatha yoga teacher who also happened to be an Ayurvedic practitioner, and she really turned me on to Ayurveda. And so I did a lot, you know. She had me on this water daily cleanse and she had me use mantras and she had me use ghee and, um, you know, we worked on building some kafa, and, Amazing. and then, mm, wow, yeah, it was really great. I had lots of meditation practices and like, it was just a really wonderful time. And then when I came to New York, I continued that on my own. And then when I came to the Shala, it was really nice to have two women teachers and yeah. it was really what well, was really the I think the main and I don't even think I've ever shared this with them. I probably should. Um, it was really healing to be under their guidance because it finally felt like, you know, yoga to the people is a very young crowd and all the teachers are very young. So there was this sense of competitiveness and there was there was no like stability. There was no like everything was just kind of. Vata in there, you know, like just very flaky, very high energy. Oh,
1: yeah. And
2: being with Barbara and Kristen was just this very, um, just brought me just a very deep inner steadiness, which I think allowed for a lot of my healing. I just felt like every time I walked in there, I was like, Oh, there's no judgment, and these women—look at them—they have like regular bodies. They—they they look really in harmony and in balance with themselves, really at peace. They're happy, and bodies in the room weren't all just like these tiny people. It was like all ages, and you know, all from all walks of life and all different shapes. And it was—it felt very safe that environment, that that, that community, um, and and I think that was a big part of of me enabling myself to 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 make peace with the outer form or at least see the peace in other people with their outer forms and then i think over time i began to kind of experiment that for myself um Mm -hmm. and you know i think that being in the miser when i when i transitioned from their vinyasa classes to their miser classes i think there was an element of like Like my first reaction was like, oh my God, people are going to see me every day. If I start to gain weight, they're going to notice. And that was like a big thing for me. And I think that was also really healing because I saw, you know, the more I practiced, the more the seed kind of began to diminish its power a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I I could see like how every day I would come in and I would be a little bit less scared of that. And there would be a little bit less like energy or, or um like attention towards that. And it would be more about just being in the space and like, you know, Barbara and Kristen never made a comment about that. Uh, so it was just really healing. Like the whole thing was, it was a challenge, but it was a healing challenge because I could yeah. see how, like, what I, what what I first thought would be scary or would be hard. I saw it like dissipate and kind of lose its, its grip.
1: That's so interesting. Cause I, I, would have thought that Ashtanga yoga, um, Ashtanga rexia uh, <laughs> yeah, would, would have maybe made your some of your issues worse. I know that Harmony and I both have, have struggled with Ashtanga yoga and, and how it's affected our body image, the kinds of um, extreme measures that we would take to do a practice, all kind of cycling around food and diarrhea. <laughs> And like that, like those things are really important if you're going to have a good practice. Right. And so you know, eating one meal a day at like you know two in the afternoon, um, getting up as early as possible to take diuretics. You know, so like I never did that. Caffeine is (laughs) a diuretic.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: (laughs) it you know it it it's an adrenal. It's an adrenal. uh, instigator and then you you have That's a bowel true. movement and you right. feel light yeah. and if you have you know dysentery which is even better <laughs>
0: it's <great>. you know <laughs>
1: like the lightest I ever got was the dysentery I got on the transcontinental railway in China and I was like man I'm down to like 125 pounds this is really
0: <laughs> this is
1: really working well now <laughs> <laughs> It's, oh, like, I mean, I it is interesting. You yeah, did so yoga, you didn't.
0: I found, like, I think the practice can be super healing, like you've said, especially if you're in a really supportive uh, community and environment and one where I, the teacher encourages you to, like, deeply listen and feel and pay attention to your body. I think that was very healing for me, Um just I mean, just yoga and going inside and rather than, you know, being a ballet dancer where you're always looking at a mirror, looking at yourself, you know, a reflection, everything's about what it looks like externally. And then transitioning to a yoga studio where there are no mirrors and it's all about feeling what your body feels like from within. That was a huge psychological change for me. Oh my gosh, it really... I think that was a major part of the healing was, was just that shift of having to feel myself from the inside. And when you start to do that and start to really be sensitive to yourself, it's hard to be violent to yourself intentionally. And you start to see like, oh, right, this is like a very violent act that I'm engaging in when this happens. And so um, it really helped me kind of I think get the strength and the courage to just like sit with uncomfortable feelings um, and not need to like purge or react or feel empty, but just feel whatever was arising in that moment. But then there's like that other edge of the sword where there's definitely you know, been times, especially, you know, as you're doing more advanced, advanced practices that, I mean, the lighter you are, the easier it is. Let's be honest.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm (laughs) definitely feeling that now that I have these extra 10 pounds.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But but the
1: object is not for Ashtanga yoga to be easy. The object is for it to be hard enough that you feel something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it's, I think it's so interesting. Like it's that, like, for for you and as you you know mentioned like the extra 10 pounds and even for myself you know the last like 3 years I've put on an extra like 20 pounds and it's it's interesting because the practice becomes something different it's not about like this achievement oriented practice it's kind of about observing yourself and changes and sensations and what's what's happening internally more than like again this external form at least that's sort of how I felt is that like what are you experiencing
2: yeah I think a lot of what you said is is exactly a lot of what I experienced I, I remember the first thing I ever felt coming into any kind of yoga practice like before even knowing what yoga was um, the the first like the reason why I kept going back was because I remember the, the unique feeling of like deep inner communion that I felt in that first class that I took that was mm-hmm. not ashtanga. It was just a vinyasa with music and quotes and like, you know, all the mm-hmm. fluff. Yeah. But I remember feeling like, oh, there was this kind of like exhale that happened in my body. And it almost, it almost really felt like, you know, the outer, the outer and the inner kind of merged. For the first time. And it just felt like I was at home within myself. And I think that ever since that moment, I always seek that in my practice. And so I think that, um, you know, in Mysore, it's such a great opportunity to Uh, especially for those of us that the physical, the physicality of the asana comes easy. The the challenge of the practice is that can you, can you find that space of deep inner communion and silent and stillness in a room full of people that are, you know, mainly trying so hard to outer impress, you know, when you're you're assisting in the room, you really see like that, that fire, like that intensity of everyone trying to like, show off to get attention and it's yeah. like can you
1: move it's so obvious and transparent yeah and
2: it's like can you move for me it was always like from the beginning i remember not the first trip the first trip i definitely fell into the the you know the trap of trying to get everyone talked about this guru and it was you know that that first trip definitely was about trying to establish a relationship with Sharat. but i think after that it was i loved it because it was this challenge of like can i find can i recreate that sensation even here and it was a really big challenge for me and i you know i love challenges so um it was it was really nice to kind of walk into the room and be like okay i'm going to set up my mat i'm going to like every everything i did was like there was this very deep presence so that i could each step could be like a little step inwards and then by the end of practice it it would re- if it was a good practice it would be like i would feel really like like you were saying harmony of like like you're sitting within yourself. I think you said, like that sense of just like sitting, of just like mm. quiet, peaceful sitting. Um, so that that's kind of like how I. That's why it was healing. That's why for me, ashtanga is healing because I, mm. I can, the the I'm kind of uh, competing with myself, and can I sh- can I turn all of that off and go inwards? Yeah.
0: Wow. And so there's a sense of
2: satisfaction that comes from being able to do that.
1: I'm kind of more in the space where I'm trying to manage terror. (laughs) Um, Can, speaking of which, can you, can you tell us how frustrating is it or was it frustrating to suddenly have your body out of control again and it's doing its own thing? It's growing a child and then it, it explodes and all of these things are, are all of these hormonal responses and the, the needs of the child are, are kind of completely out of your control at that point. And surely that must, that must also be a, a, a terrifying trigger for you.
2: Well, you know, I thought it was going to be. Um, and I think that um, I really think the practice of Ashtanga and specifically of third series, I think is what has, uh, made it possible for me to even think about being a mom. Um, mm-hmm. because especially in relationship to my body issues, um, because I always thought I actually used to think that I would never want to get pregnant because I didn't want my body to change. Um, oh. and so it wasn't until, you know, recently that I, um, that I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't really care. Like I want to see my body going through that and I want to see the strength of it going through that. I want, and I also want to test if my mind really has become strong enough to handle that or my nervous system, you know, to handle the the ups and downs that are going to come with that. And, it wasn't necessary. I can't say that it was easy. Uh, I did not like being pregnant. Now that I look back, <laughs> i be <actually laughs> like,
1: oh, that was so
2: romantic. I had the belly. And I'm like – and at the same time, I'm like, what am I talking about? I hated every moment of being pregnant. Even no, though it was, a, it was a really easy – like I had no issues. I was <laughs> – <laughs> <But> it, was, <laughs> it was like, it was so, I had so many breakdowns during it. Just my partner, just the other day, Walker, reminded me that one day he came upstairs and I was literally in tears in Upavishta Konasana, in tears, screaming why did I do this? I don't know who <laughs> I am anymore. I can't even fold my legs straddled. <laughs> like, it was, there was this constant like loss of identity. But I think my anorexic mind, which I like to, I like to identify that piece of me as my anorexic mind, because she's always there. Right. Um, you make it an I,
1: object. Yeah. yeah. I dessert. keep a leash
2: on her. And um yeah. and I, I let her out sometimes, but uh, only rarely mm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she uh, escapes. She, yeah. yeah. she needs to see
1: the sun. She needs to see the sun,
2: exactly. She needs a vitamin <laughs> D. But you know, it was no. a really nice um it was a really satisfying I think my anorexic mind took uh pride in in like um Trying to come out, or not her. Like, I think I took pride in watching her try to come out, and me being able to kind of put her in her place, and and like have some, allow myself to have these panic moments, and and externalize them with my partner, who is a saint, who's actually right now ah. sitting on the deck taming a crying baby, even though I told him he could. Oh, <laughs> and um, and and to just kind of like see it flare out see all its colors and then be like, okay, you know what you've, you've this, we can go down that road or we can come back and have a a nice nine months. You know, it could either feel like jail for nine months or it could feel like, you know, there's still some freedom to move. Um, and so I, I, you know, it wasn't as bad as, um, I'm going to feed him while we talk. It wasn't as bad as I, as I thought, um, you know, it was kind of nice to actually decide to, to you know, I, I really wanted him to be healthy. So all the eatings I did, it was like this offering, this offering yeah. to him. Mm. And I think, Harmony, you mentioned it in your, in your podcast, in one of the podcasts where you're talking about childbirth, that it's like they're, they're the little Krishnas. Yeah, the little
0: deities that yeah, are your housing
2: inside yourself. Exactly. So I always, you know, whenever I would start to have negative feelings, I, yeah. I would just think, you know, I'm doing this for a higher purpose. And there's no amount of of, of negativity or fear that can be more important than, than nourishing this little being.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and so yeah, I think also with the post, yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, it's just it's so I mean, I think it can be really healing, you know. It's like such a healing thing because I mean, we all have these little deities inside of ourselves all the time, but we don't recognize them and we don't treat ourselves like, you know, we have a little deity inside of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love and that. And then when you become pregnant, you you really do feel like, oh, I have a, a life. I have this little God being inside of me growing and and you really do start to treat yourself and nourish yourself in a way that's super healthy because you you're pregnant and right. and I think sometimes it's it's nice that that sense can can linger and and stay with you a little you know
2: yeah, absolutely and I think you know I think that you can probably hear his little noises yeah. yes <laughs> um, he's feeding like. He's like, oh, I haven't had this for, like, three hours. Yeah, he's um, a star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the, the, the thing that I think prepared me was that, you know, a year before we actually got pregnant, I, I went to see Sharmila, and I had a nice conversation Hi. with her. And I spent that whole year kind of really preparing, you know, I and it peaked with going to Mysore in, in – uh, I think I was there in March – and you know, I took the time. I promised myself I wouldn't interact with people that much. That I would just—I wanted to really feel boredom, mm-hmm. and I wanted to 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 you know feel all that was going to come up in that boredom and learn to be okay with it because I felt like that's what pregnancy was going to be like. And so, if I could do it in myser, then I would be—I would survive doing it back home. <laughs> um, right. So. I did that I got super bored. I did nothing I would practice assist, and then I literally probably saw like three people and yeah. I just got deeply bored and I a lot of stuff came up you know like anger and fear and loneliness and I just kind of I just kind of learned to to sit with it as best as I could and and to hold ground and to hold like my drishti on like you know the objective of just learning to like see see feelings as they as they are they they rise up and then they pass and then you're still there you didn't die and so it it was kind of like this process and um and then when I came back home I decided that I would I would stop practicing third series so it wouldn't be such a shock when I got pregnant and and then when I got pregnant three months later um I I stopped practicing for three months and not so much because my body didn't want to practice, but just for the mental, the mental sadhana of it, of like dealing with accepting space for someone else.
0: Right. Um, and, and like I letting
2: think, go a little. Yeah. And letting go. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to process any, any negative feelings that would come up with that before the baby came. Cause I knew that, you know, from reading stories in the book, I think you were in it too, the Sadhana for Mothers. I knew that a lot was going to change afterwards. So I I didn't want to have to deal with all those changes with the baby. So I think it was really key for me to to gradually make those shifts and to at all phases really sit with the discomfort of, you know, any given feeling that would come from shedding things away. Um, And so now, like with the postpartum, I yeah I can't say I love being ten pounds overweight. Absolutely don't. <laughs> but not overweight, but like don't worry. Over <laughs> it,
0: it goes and then it comes and then it goes and then, and then it, it comes. It comes. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So I'm trying to not like attach too much to it. Um, I mean, quarantine helps because I'm like, oh well, no one sees me. Um, but you know, I, there's day, there's good days and there's bad days. But I think you know these little these little divinities they help you so much with with the way you see yourself you know they look at you like you're everything and you're like wow maybe i am everything you know like maybe there is that spark of god inside of me and they they you see it through them i think you know that which we seek in the practice i think really they they bring it out for you and so all of a sudden things that i thought were going to be really important are like all right, well, I didn't get to, you know, do a full practice today, but that's okay because I got to, you know, see 10 smiles of his or, like, sing him, you know, my little made-up uh, lullaby 10 times, which, you know, in a few years, he'd, he's not going to want to hear me make up lullabies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so it's been really beautiful to watch that. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, there is there's definitely some anger and some resentment, you know, I can't, I can't say it's all God, seeing God and, and, you know, Um, There's moments of seeing
0: God and then moments of being really human and selfish too, right? Where you're just like, what? I have no life anymore. (laughs) Yeah.
2: You look at them and you're like, wow, where has my life gone and my time and my partner and yeah, everything. And And there's, there is a degree of, I don't know if you experience it, but I was reading it up the other day. and I made a post about it today about uh, postpartum rage. Mm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I read that. I
2: didn't know it had a name. (laughs) Oh my God. It does. I discovered, I was like two weeks in, I like, I was like, I need to do something about this because my partner's just going to walk out on me if I keep being this terrible Mm -hmm. person. And uh,
1: that's a common, that's the, that first year is a common year for divorce.
2: Yeah, and I can see years. why. Yeah, I mean, like, everything, you know, I was in this place where everything that he did was just not enough. And yeah. and also just not, um, you know, I'm going to say this because I think it's important for a lot of women to hear this because I don't think, I didn't find, you know, no two friends talked to me about this, but you don't find much about it. And I think, you know, there's this sense of, like, not being seen, you know, whenever you're pregnant, everyone's kind of very aware of you and, and um, you're in the spotlight and then you give birth and all of a sudden it's all about the baby and there's not really, you know, everybody gives birth, but for, for the woman herself, it's the biggest thing we're ever going to do. And even though everybody does it, that, that's, that should not take away the, the, the importance of the act of giving birth. Yeah. And I felt like I wasn't being acknowledged or seen for it. And, um, and so I was really angry. And, but all it took really was, you know, just like in or when I was sitting there getting bored and watching it pass, like, and conversing with myself, with my dark parts of myself, I, I sat down with my partner and I was like, this is the way I feel. And, you know, this is, this is what you can do to help me overcome it. And he was very receiving in it. And, you know, we had a couple of conversations about it. And then it kind of lifted, you know, like it, there, there's moments where, when it's still there. But it mainly like I feel like just like I had said before, like if you if you kind of disperse the energy that's around something, then it all of a sudden it, like it just passes. It doesn't yeah. like, stay so strong inside of your soul.
0: Was that line that we heard that Mr. Rogers said in that? In the, the movie Rogers. the the mm. neighborhood, if you can talk about it.
1: If it, if it's um if, if you can talk about it, it's manageable.
0: Yes. If mm. you can talk about it, it's manageable. <laughs> Absolutely. <I've been laughs> straight to watch from Mr. Movie. Rogers. Oh it's, it's on our so list. good. <laughs> yeah. I, but it's that I think that's so true that that the shame and um the stuff that gets pushed down and buried and that especially when you're young and growing up that you can't express, you don't have words for, you can't speak about, it turns into things that that have power over you and and maybe um come out in in disorders or or in ways that aren't that healthy and and learning to express yourself and have those those words and and be able to communicate with someone in a way that's healthy is is so valuable.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Do you, I I'm, I wanted to tell a story. I'm trying to remember the name of of uh, Guruji's son who died.
0: Ramesh.
1: Ramesh. All, all I could think of was Mahesh. Um, do you know the Do you know the story about Ramesh and 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 Guruji And are you familiar with that, Bibi?
2: No, I'm not.
1: It's interesting what you just said. Really reminded me of it. How beautifully you set yourself up and prepared yourself for the experience of sacrifice. And I was really taken by it. And I thought it was it was it was really very beautiful and very intelligent. And and I was just really impressed. And it reminded me of um, a story that what Ramesh was this. Kind of fantastic figure. Um, Manju used to talk to me about him a lot. Um, he still really misses him, and uh, and really is such a cherished person in his life. That Urmesh was um, a Sanskrit uh, savant, and he was this person that the every every yoga posture was easy for him. That he could do everything, he would he would walk around on on his hands for half you know twenty minutes, half an hour at a time. He was just always upside down, and he was an incredibly beautiful, light, magic Krishna person. And uh, in I think it was seventy five uh, or maybe seventy three, Guruji went to Encinitas on a trip with Manju uh, for the first time. And as I understand it, and I'm sure there are older students in the audience who, who could correct me, when he came back, Odermesh had committed suicide, um, that Gorgi had gotten angry about something, some bills weren't paid, and, and Odermesh uh, uh, took his own life. And it was at that time that uh, what's, what was um, traditional In the culture of of Karnataka, say, or in in Brahmin culture in in Mysore, was that if your child died, that it was incumbent upon the parents to make amends, and that they should give up the one thing in their life that was the most important to them. Because obviously, that was the reason why their child had died, which is, you know, horrifying to think of, 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 that kind of guilt. So, Batabi Joyce and his wife gave up Ashtanga yoga practice. And they just, you know, pra, uh, Guruji did pranayama and ama, um Ammaji, I'm not, I think she, I don't sure what else she did, but they, they both of them stopped doing their physical practice and it, there's something about the story that you reminded me of which was just the the sense of sacrifice that we offer to our children is is in, is incredible and i and I just really love the way that you prepared yourself for that sacrifice and that you you took it on the chin but you're also aware of your resentment at the at the same time like even though you prepared yourself there was still there's still resentment to it and that's so beautiful to acknowledge the a a frailty or, or failing. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really struck by, by your story.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, you know, I think um, it's really beautiful to hear you say that. Thank you for that. I, um, I think that it's such an important thing to prepare ourselves. I'm really humbled by women that stumble into pregnancy. I think I, I would have, failed terribly at being a mother had it happened to me just, you know. Accidentally? (laughs) Yeah, accidentally. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's really, you know, it it, it really is an act of devotion. And I I think if you're not, I mean, obviously a lot of women do it. And I don't know if Harmony for you was by accident or not, but, you know, I think... It was intentional. It was intentional, okay. I, I think, you know surrender is a big deal and you know i never was one of those people that could bow down and touch the guru's feet like i remember the first time i ever did it with he actually like laughed at me he looked down he was like what are you doing (laughs) so you know it's 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 not easy to you know to 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 bow down in that way to really you know full-on surrender with every part of your being Um, and to me it was, it was really scary for many years and I feel very proud of myself for, 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 for doing it the way, the way I am. And it's, and it sounds funny to say that, but I never thought I could and I never, and I still, you know, some days I'm, I, I'm proud because I, you know, I see, that even though there is that that anorexic part of me that's like oh you should be doing abs or you should be running or you should be you know doing more practice and i look at her and i'm like will you just please give up this fight like will you just just please, <laughs> just depart mm-hmm. just you know and and it sounds you know it might sound easy but i think anyone that's suffered from this disease it's a really hard thing to 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 sit with and to and to um, what's the word? My my brain is still not at full function. Um, <laughs> to like to, to to you know to to not to, to, not, listen dimini- to. Yeah, yeah. to not listen to yeah not listen to diminish, it to just yeah. diminish it
0: um yeah to recognize it and, yeah recognize it and see it but not have to like feel bad about it in a way right not be controlled exactly. by it.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: It reminds me of like that, what you were saying earlier, how you can heal and you can recover from, you know, anorexia or bulimia, but there's always this little part of yourself that that's there. And no matter what, what's going on, you know, I always remind myself that even like when I look in the mirror I always remind myself when this voice comes up that like what I see isn't what other people see,
1: yeah, right?
0: because i I know that what I see is is defective it's yeah, it's not an accurate um reflection. Yeah.
1: I look in yeah. the mirror and I see a big fat fuck <laughs> <And> so- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. Mm. And I, I people tell me that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't see it. I'm
2: glad. So, yeah, <laughs> you have people that remind you
0: that. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. good to have some people around that remind you. You know, like your oh. partner or somebody that you know you're beautiful and
2: you look great no matter what. <laughs> yeah, so, and oh. I think you know also it's like, and I think it's important within the Ashtanga community. You know what you said before, Russell, about uh, what did you call it? Uh, tangaexiaexia um I think there is you know I see the el- that element in the community and I think it's so important for us teachers to create a space where it's not about and I and I've been very lucky to have that experience but um, it's not about it's about like seeing seeing through the body through seeing through this vessel and like really seeing the person for their inner beauty which i think you can really see in people's spirit in practice like how they move and how they like just their 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 level of attention or the way that when someone becomes really focused inwardly like how beautiful they become Mm -hmm. Um, and so really like i think it's really important for us teachers to cultivate that in the room of like you know not putting so much attention in are you binding, are you, you know, are you touching your head to your to your shins? Are you, you know, but but more of like, where's the softness? And where, you know, how can you find a balance between that that fire that's needed for Ashtanga Yoga? Because you do need a certain amount of fire to do this practice, but like how can you greet that with a really soft um you know heart or a really Mm -hmm. you know um, yeah soft mind almost. So it's, yeah. I think it's important that, that, that we keep that at the forefront of, of our minds when we practice and when we teach, Definitely. because this practice can, you know, can have such a bad reputation. I mean, especially since I moved upstate, people like shriek when I tell them I, I teach Ashtanga Yoga and I, I it's... It hurts my, my soul because yeah. there's yeah, because it's given me so much and yeah. I, I feel really sad whenever people have this idea of Ashtanga as like this thing that you can only do if you're eighty pounds and twenty five years old. Um, yeah. because I think Ashtanga is has so much to <laughs> so much to give for all ages and all body types and it's about really understanding the essence of it and not so much the form.
1: Yeah.
0: Totally. 100%.
1: And made so much worse by a, a social media driven culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In- Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: I always like to think like of in the practice when I practice but also like maybe it's something other people can think of is is how to bring in receptivity into the practice, right? Rather than mm. like willfulness or drive. But it's like if you're doing this this thing, how can you be receptive? Like what, what, what's, you know, messages are you receiving through the practice Mm, rather than like just pushing, you know? Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Because then you can be so pleasantly surprised with what it has to give versus like what you think it's got to give you.
1: I think it's going to give me pain. (laughs) (laughs) So as long nice, as you're ready
0: to receive nice it, to it'll sur- all go well. <laughs> Surprise,
1: <by laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> quiet,
2: quietness.
1: I, I really want to thank you for joining us today. I'm really, I'm so grateful.
2: I'm so grateful too that I was able to speak with you guys on here. Mm. Tell us uh, and tell our
0: listeners, BB, where they can find you. You're in upstate New York right now, but probably you're, most of everything's online. Is that true?
2: Yeah, so I I do have a shala in Newburgh, New York, but it's currently not functional. Um, so I'm on. I teach on Zoom once a week. Um, I do a led, and then I do. I I just starting this week to do a prenatal ashanga class on Zoom as well. That's um, wonderful. Oh, we should where, do that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> excited. <laughs> I actually have a friend that's been like recovering from. Um, from a surgery and uh, I told her she should join my prenatal class. It's perfect for, for beginners. Yeah. Um,
1: so, I think we would but, like to take your class too. The people. You
2: would like to take my beginners class, my prenatal <laughs> class.
1: It <laughs> yeah, <that'd be> <laughs> <They> sounds
2: lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the two things. And I think the best way to kind of, uh, to hear about what I, what I'm doing is through Instagram, which is at BB dot um, I do have one thing that I, I can mention on here. Um, I'm doing like a virtual, I usually do a fall retreat up here in my Shala. So I'm doing it virtual and it's, um, Ashtanga and Ayurveda. And the Ayurveda piece is with Maria Rubinate, which you might, you guys oh, might know her. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, we do know her. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: That's she's great. a
2: wealth of knowledge. I absolutely adore yes. her and she's kind of my Ayurvedic, um, Good. I, I, I work with her and uh, she's not nice. a doctor, but she's a practitioner. So yeah. Um. She's going to be doing the Ayurveda part and I'll be teaching the Ashtanga and the Pranayama meditation. So that's happening uh, over Columbus Day weekend, which is, I think, October 10th and 11th. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's the one thing that... And they can go to your
0: website to find all that info, yeah?
2: Yes, bblorenzetti.com.
0: Yep. bblorenzetti.com. Oh, thank Perfect. you so much. Well, thank you so much for coming thank on our guys. podcast. Yeah really
1: grateful thank you you.
0: It was beautiful thank you thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me your host harmony slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and i look forward to connecting with you again soon
1: standing in eternity's shy Watching the breaking waves There's a hard
2: wind in the soil